Well, what a perfect point of reflection for us. When we talk about being still, of course, we're talking about that uh, idea of not striving, uh, not being anxious, not getting fretful and worrisome. And the reason that we can be still, the reason that we can see striving, uh, is because we belong to God. And God is sovereign and God is in charge. God has a plan. God has not abdicated the throne. He is not in a crisis. He is at work. You say, well, Scott, sometimes uh, I read those headlines and sometimes I see what uh, my, my daily or weekly experience is like. And um, it's crazy. And I get worrisome and I get fretful. And I'm anxious. Well, to that, uh, Jesus sought to speak into our lives, into our hearts, into our circumstances. And so we're going to spend some weeks now looking at how Jesus spoke into the lives of those that he cared about and that he loves. Uh, we're calling it stories for the season. And so across this season, we're going to be telling Jesus stories. And today we're going to be actually looking at three of his stories, but they kind of fit one theme. And that's the theme that there's a time for everything. And uh, we were some of us that were praying just before the service commented. It, it seems almost always that God's time is not my time. My timing is always just a little bit different than what what God is up to and how he's playing something out. And, of course, our confidence is that his timing is perfect, his timing is right, and it behooves us to lean into and to trust him, his work, and his timing. Now, as we get into uh, Jesus' stories, you have to do so with context. Jesus did not just all of a sudden poof and appear and begin speaking out of nowhere. He spoke into a context that literally was centuries. Some of you are aware that uh, the Jewish people of whom Jesus was one and into which he was born um, had quite the history, a history filled with uh, subjugation and oppression, um, basically being a doormat to the world. Now, just to remind you briefly of the geography of where they were, because that's no small factor in this thing. Um, Israel actually was kind of a small land bridge, if you will, a path from Africa in the south to Europe in the north and west and to Asia in the north and east. Uh, unless you had naval capabilities in those ancient times, you had to go through this little piece of real estate that became known as Israel. And consequently, it was fought over and fought for uh, for centuries. And so uh, even though God had promised them the land and even though they inhabited the land and they were able to make lives for themselves in the land, others were constantly uh, overtaking them. 
and ruling the land. So they were conquered by the Egyptians and they were conquered by the Assyrians and they were conquered by the Babylonians and they were conquered by the Persians and they were conquered by the Greeks. And by the time you're in the time of Jesus, they'd been conquered by the Romans. And so they were used to being kind of this people that were kicked around, that were taken advantage of, that were oppressed, that were not valued. And into that context, there were prophets through the centuries before Jesus that spoke to them what God might be up to. Call it a narrative, if you will, in their history. And this, this thought was deeply embedded into who they were and what they hoped. So, for example, Isaiah in chapter 65 said of this people whom God was bringing promises to, he said, they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Now, you see a lot of passages that are something like that, that have kind of this agricultural motif or theme where God is saying, you're going to be able to plant here. We're going to uproot some old things. We're going to sow some new things and you'll have a life here and it'll be a life of blessing. In Jeremiah we're told that the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the house of Israel and Judah with the offspring of people and animals. So, again, we could do a long survey. That's just a brief glimpse into how the historical narrative kept telling the people and embedding at a deep place in them. God knows you, God loves you, God's invested in you, God's going to uh, cause it to be times of planting and sowing and growing and harvesting. Uh, you will know at some point his deliverance from oppression and his not only setting you free, but setting you into the fullness of life. Fast forward to the birth of Jesus. And Jesus comes into this world, and as he begins his teaching ministry, and he begins telling stories, his stories resonate so deeply with the historical narrative that is a part of this multi-century history of these people, they begin to perk up. Now, we hear these stories, and we begin to glaze over. They heard these stories, and they began to perk up. And Jesus would say this story about God planting and about God sowing and about God causing seed to bring forth in some kind of bountiful way. And, and they would perk up and they would go, this, this may be something. God may be in this man. Uh, what we've been hoping for through all of the ages may be coming to pass now. In fact, at one point they became so taken with the stories and the, the ministry of Jesus that uh, the Gospel of John tells us they intended to seize him. They were just going to kidnap him, if you will, and make him king by force. It's time. He's the one. Let's do it. Let's go for it. Now, this is the foundation upon which we begin to unpack these parables for ourselves. Because it was the time... But it was not the time. And the parables are full of paradox. And most Westerners who tend to be linear in thought and process and life tend to not have very much appreciation for paradox. 
Or at least I'm speaking for myself. And so we get into these stories that Jesus is going to tell about the kingdom. And if you have a Bible, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 13 in just a minute. But as we get into Matthew, uh, first off, you'll see in chapter 13, verse 1, that large crowds were beginning to be assembled around Jesus. Masses of people. It's just almost incomprehensible that the size of crowds that, that gathered around him did in his day. And into these large crowds, he began to speak these stories and these parables. And in chapter 13, verse 1, he begins to speak a parable about a sower who goes out to sow seed. Okay, you've got my attention. They began to perk up. And this sower sows seed rather indiscriminately. He doesn't like go down row by row by row and carefully sow into places where the seed can grow uh, carefully and thoroughly. He just scatters it everywhere. And you go on and you find out that uh, this is not just a parable about seed. It's a parable about soil and what kind of heart is receiving the word of God. Well, then you move on to verse 23 and following, verse 24 and following of Matthew, and he begins another story. And this story is about seed having been sowed and having begun to grow forth with a harvest. Only somebody else came along, an enemy, and began to sow bad seed. Now, the owner sowed good seed, but his enemy came along and sowed bad seed. And the good seed and the bad seed began to grow up side by side. Now, what are you supposed to do with that? But then you go on through the chapter, and when you get down to verse 31, yet another story, and Jesus begins to tell about a mustard seed. And how small that mustard seed is, and what growth potential is in it. That it becomes this large tree that can even sustain life. Now, we've talked often in here about uh, the first story, the sower who uh, sowed and it fell into various kinds of soil. Uh, Next Sunday, I'm going to talk thoroughly about the parable of the mustard seed. Today, I want us to focus a little more intently on the uh, the sowing of the seed amongst the bad seed. And so we're going to pick it up there in the middle of Matthew 13. But let me give you a little more context, because as we're looking at Matthew, you understand that Matthew uh, is a gospel writer who especially was targeting, if you will, a Jewish audience. The other gospels had other target groups. Matthew was concerned that the gospel was understandable to Jews. And as you may be aware, uh, the Jewish law comes to us in five sections. And those first five books of what we call the Old Testament or the Pentateuch are uh, those five sections of the law. Matthew organizes his material into five sections, which any good Jew would have appreciated the parallel to the Jewish law. And these stories of Jesus are right in the middle of those five sections of Matthew's writings. It's almost as if Matthew is saying, 
Here is the heart of what I want you to get about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the key to understanding all that that, uh, you're going to see about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we leap into that in this 13th chapter. And we're going to especially focus on the uh, parable of the weeds. So picking up in verse 24, let's look at that carefully and thoroughly. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man... Who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds also uh, appeared. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? Speaking of the weeds. But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers. Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, if you were, you know, a couple thousand years ago in that audience listening to Jesus tell this story in this parable, you would not be happy right now. Uh, Again, you would not have a glazed look. You would have already perked up. You would be on the edge of your seat. You'd be listening to every word and every nuance of every word that he was saying. And as he is unpacking this, uh, you would be pretty bothered at this particular point. Because what Jesus has, in effect, said is that the kingdom of God is not like you think. They have this entire multi-century history of longing for a day when the Messiah would come and he would bring military conquest and he would defeat the foes and he would put the foes under their own feet and they would be able to be liberated and delivered and uh, be sovereign over themselves. And uh, Jesus is basically saying uh, the kingdom of God is not going to be anything on what you've been looking for. It's radically different from what you've been looking for. Because you see, once you see that the enemy has been at play, and almost all the scholars that read this and and consider what those weeds were, they probably were tares. And tares are a certain kind of weed that look very much like wheat. And so when they're growing up alongside of each other, it's very difficult to tell them apart. And so one would think, Let's get in there and let's have some action right now. Let's begin to tear out all those weeds. And Jesus said, no. We're just going to let them grow alongside of the wheat. We don't want to tear up any of the wheat. We're going to let the wheat be able to fully grow. And then before we harvest, we will separate. We will clear out all the tares, all the wheat, I mean all the weeds. And then we'll be able to tear out all of the wheat. And uh, he finishes this whole thing describing what will happen at that point verse 36. 
So he left the crowds, he went into the house, and his disciples came to him and they said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds. They think they know what he was saying, but they don't like it. And so he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age. And the reapers are the angels. And just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who He who has ears... Let him hear. Now, you cannot um, gloss over that final phrase. He who has ears, let him hear. And he, he says this throughout uh, Matthew 13. You'll say throughout uh, his various teachings and sayings. Because uh, here's the deal. Jesus, who was present with them and present with us, who is speaking into their lives, who is speaking into our lives, is constantly communicating things about the kingdom of God. And basically he's saying some people will get it, some people won't. And it will always be that way. Some people will get it, and some people won't. The people who have ears to hear, they'll get it. And the people who don't, won't. And he actually goes on to say, we're not going to spend any time there today. Uh, for those that get it, they'll, be able, they'll begin to get it more and more and more and more. And those that don't get it, they'll begin to get it less and less and less and less. And the reason for that, friends, is that because the kingdom of God is primarily something to be experienced. So when you start unpacking this parable... You see that the people get confused, they get angry, they get crosswise with Jesus because their expectations are, are being dissolved right before their very eyes. Instead of there being this decisive, oncoming, conquering, delivering kind of thing, there's patience. No, we're not going to go out and just rip all that out right now. We're just going to let them grow up side by side. There will be a time for separating the Weeds from the wheat. Instead of bringing justice right now, righting all the wrongs, taking care of all the things that have been hurtful and harmful and unfair, we're going to wait for a while until just the right time. Instead of immediate results, vanishing an enemy, enthroning the king, coming into the kingdom and things like that. No, we're going we're gonna to continue to plant. We're going to continue to sow seeds for a while. We're not through with all the sowing that will precede the harvesting. 
Now, a parable basically is a story that has been put alongside of real life experience and is uh, understood as one has that experience. It's a story put alongside of some experience, and as you are in that experience, the story begins to make sense to you. If you're not in that experience, the story can be confusing and complex and, and uh, confounding, as it is for so many through all the, all the years. So t- take, for example, the, the birth of a child. I got to be present when both of my sons were born. I could stand here and give you some adjectives to, to describe that. Um, it took a long time. It was very painful. Uh, anxiety. Joy. Elation. Screaming. <laughs> Tears of joy. Tears of pain. And see, those of you that have been through the experience... I can use cryptic adjectives like that, and they're all falling into a place, and it all makes sense. But if you've not been through that experience, I mean, even if you've seen it like on a documentary on television or something like that, you began to get some of it. But unless you've actually been in the experience, a lot of that picture, uh, those descriptive words, fall on you with some emptiness. The kingdom is to be experienced. See, we want it clearly just defined. It is A, B, C. And Jesus said, no, it's kind of like a story of somebody that went to plant a seed. What's it mean to be a Christian? What's it mean to have life from above? See, one of the most religious men, one of the most moral men that ever lived, came to Jesus one night and basically was posing that question to him. And Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, It's like this, Nicodemus. It's like being born again. It's like being born from above. To have the kingdom of God in you, to have the new life that God wants to bring you, it's like having an altogether new and different birth. Now, Nicodemus, who is like a lot of us, was like, what? What what does that mean? Are you saying I will, like, re-enter my mother and and go through this whole birthing process? What are you talking about? And so Jesus teased it out a little bit more and said, it's just like... When you were born of water and you came forth from your mother, you must be born of spirit and come forth from God. And unless you are born again, you will not see, you will not experience the kingdom of God. Now, if you're in the room today and that makes perfect sense to you and you go, yeah, yeah, I get that. That's because you have experience of the kingdom of God. If you're sitting there scratching your head going, you know, I'm kind of with Nicodemus. I don't know exactly what that, that means. Then you are under this invitation of God to continue to draw near. 
Draw near to me, Jesus says. I'll draw near to you. Incline your ear to me and I will speak into your life. But this has got to be something that you begin to hunger for, you begin to yearn for, you begin to long for. And out of that wholeheartedness that begins to lean in Jesus' way will come forth your experience of the kingdom. So Jesus would use a story and he would say, you know, it's, it's like this. It's like having a new birth. It's like somebody going out and sowing a seed. It's like at the time of harvest, weeds being separated from wheat. So, what are we to do with that? Well, Jesus told these stories to try to draw in the seeking heart and to try to affirm and and create a more firm foundation for the heart that had already been seized and was already a part of the kingdom of God. Basically, what he is saying is that the kingdom of God is here right now. But there's also a full consummation, of, a, a total fulfillment of it to come. And so we're in this season, we're in this period where the kingdom has come and it will be fully consummated over here at a time of my choosing. And frankly, we don't like that. Um, I, I would like to have the fullness of all the kingdom activity in my life right now. Uh, I've got a health con- condition. I, I'd like for you to do something about that right now. I've got a number of relational situations that are kind of crosswise. I'd like for you to do something about that right now. I've got a financial situation that has me fearful and anxious, and I don't know what's going to I'd like for you to do something about that right now. We, we want the fullness of the kingdom right now. We don't like this tension. And we are anxious. And we are fretful. And we are worrisome. And he keeps speaking to our lives, trust me. Believe in me. Just like the farmer who has to put seed in the soil. He doesn't know what happens under the soil. He doesn't know about the seed disintegrating and losing its life and then taking on a whole new and different kind of life. and coming. Just trust me. Believe in me. I am at work in ways that you do not see, in ways that you cannot comprehend, in ways that you do not appreciate. Justice is coming. Fairness Restoration, turning the tables right side up, all of that is coming in my time. And it will be perfect. And he gives us promises to that effect. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you, he's going to complete it. What he is starting and stirring and developing and growing in you, Continue to trust, believe, lean into. He is going to complete what he has started with you. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory. 
He, he is doing something way beyond what we can comprehend. Just, just glorify Him. Understand His greatness. In, in Philippians 4, we're again exhorted. The peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding, all of our comprehension, it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This life is still going to be hard. This life is still going to be oppressive. This life is still going to be full of pain and, and difficulties and challenges, injustice, unfairness. Trust me. Believe in me. Lean on me. Wait upon me. Become all that I am working in you to become during that season. So it raises these questions. Will you allow God to sow his word into your heart. The first parable that we didn't unpack today basically said he's always sowing his word. He's always putting his word out there for you. And if the soil of your heart's hard, it gets nowhere with you. If the soil of your heart is shallow, it doesn't get very far with you. If the soil of your heart is not cultivated, it's just full of all kinds of worldly concerns and anxieties and fears and things like that, then it will choke out whatever God's trying to say to you. But if the soil of your heart is good, fertile, cleared out, cultivated, where the, the, the Word of God can have deep penetration in you, then He'll bring forth out of your life 30, 60, 100 times out of some one word that He puts into your heart. Will you allow God to sow His Word into your heart? Will you seek to cultivate your heart, to soften your heart, to have it to be good soil by His grace, by His help, so that you can be responsive to His Word. Will you exercise? I use that word carefully. Exercise. It takes effort on your part. Trust. Patience. In His plans. And in His process. And will you join God in sowing His Word into the hearts of others? You say, well, I'm not very good about talking about faith things. What do you mean sowing his word into the hearts of others? Listen, when you are experiencing the kingdom of God, you are being a part of and you're seeing all kinds of kingdom activity. All kinds of things that God's up to and all kinds of things that God is doing. And for your conversation with people to be spiced, if you will, because you are salt, spiced with Jesus stories, with Jesus encounters, that's what we're talking about, where he has the opportunity to sow into the lives of others. Now, um, some of you, several of you, were part of our annual forum uh, over a week ago. And for those of you that are our guests, our annual forum is kind of like an annual business meeting in a church. Only not. And so if, if I just said church and business meeting in the same phrase, you, if you've ever experienced that before, uh, have a lot of connotation to that and probably thought to yourself, well, it's something I wouldn't want to go to. But in our situation, uh, that forum time is a time for us to come together and talk about what God's been doing in our lives and how God's been operative. And we had several stories that came out at the forum 
Um, and I, I do regret we didn't record that. Uh, we had several stories that came out at the forum that I have not quit telling. And I've had conversations from then to now where uh, I, I've just been able to say, you know, God's at work. And I saw him do this in, in this kind of life. And, you know, I haven't been sharing your name and address and things like that. But I've been sharing kind of the essence of how God's been at work in your lives and how you shared it that night. That's a sowing. The seed of his word, of his, of his will, of his ways, of his activity among us. And for the heart that has any capacity as Jesus is drawing near to them to respond to that, they respond. And you in, engage in further conversation about Jesus' things. So this coming Sunday night, a week from tonight, we will be gathering for this Thanksgiving service. Uh, you will have the opportunity, as you do every year, just to say, thank you, Lord, and fill in the blank. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for the other. It's just a, a big, you know, feast time for us to say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, to count our many blessings and name them one by one. And we are always encouraged with that. We're always uplifted and stirred with that. I think God's always blessed with that. But more than that, friends... It's that opportunity for you to collect God stories, God sightings, and it can become a part of your conversation as you're later out with others that do not experience the kingdom of God. Now, there is a very real reality that awaits those who never become a part of the kingdom of God. And we saw that in, in uh, Matthew 13, I think, verse 20, where he says the time is going to come where I'm going to separate the weeds from the wheat. I'm going to bundle up the weeds and they're going to be judged. They're going to be condemned. They're going to be put in fire, if you will. Now, literally, this was on a church sign where a church put Matthew 13:30 on there and it said, collect the weeds in bundles to be burned. Now, I don't know. Who got encouraged with that message? I don't know how many people said, you know, i got to go to that church. That's not what we're talking about. Rather, I mean, that's a reality. That's coming. And I think we need to have that as, as a part of our heart burden. I, I don't want any friend that God's brought into my life, any relationship, to have an eternal separation from God. But more than that, I want them to have the fullness of God. And so we're going to be in a season of Jesus' stories so that he can continue to sow these things in us and we can join him in sowing that in the lives of others. Will you do that? Let's pray together. So, Father, thank you today for kind of putting front and center on the screen of our heart your kingdom. It causes everything else to pale in comparison. It causes everything else to take a back seat to the priority of you and your kingdom. And we pray that you would sow deep in our own hearts your seed and it would be able to grow forth fully. 
And we pray that You would use us to sow that seed in the lives of others. We pray that this would be a season of kingdom expansion. In Jesus' name, amen.